And grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. My name is Wade. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it is a joy to open up God's word with you. We're in our final sermon in our whole disciple series. We're defining what a whole disciple is. That's what we're all about here at Parkview Church. A very important series to plug into and get a, an understanding of the very heart of why Parkview Church exists the whole church making whole disciples for the glory of God. And so we're defining what a whole disciple is, and Ephesians 4 is our, our final look at one of the dimensions of discipleship. Now, hopefully you've taken one of these bookmarks, or if you have not, please take one. They're there back at that, that booth back there. And let's remember from the bookmark what we've learned so far in this series. A whole disciple is a forgiven child of God, who is taking the next step to learn Jesus, love Jesus, and live Jesus. And then on the back, very helpful. I just love this. This is such a helpful thing. We're today looking at learning Jesus from Ephesians 4, learning Jesus. And there's three traits for a disciple. Here's what we should be looking and seeing in our lives as we commit ourselves to learn Jesus, that we submit to God's word, that we embrace our true identity in Christ, and thirdly, that we grow with God's people, submitting to God's word, embracing our true identity, and growing with God's people. And Ephesians 4, in terms of learning Jesus, is the most, I think, most thrilling passage on this very concept. Ephesians 4, uh, in the East Campus Library, if you've ever been, or in East Campus, the Faith Academy Library here at East Campus, if you look on the wall, it says book, And it gives a definition. And the definition of a book in the library is a magical doorway into a world of adventure and possibility. That's a great definition of what a book is. And by the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4 makes us that sort of church. Ephesians 4, by the Holy Spirit's help, brings the holy magic, we might say, the holy magic back into our lives. Some of us maybe are living the Christian life and it feels a bit drab, a bit boring. We've, we've maybe lost our purpose of why is it that we are a Christian? Why is it that we gather together as a church? What is the church for? What does the church do? Those essential basic questions. Ephesians 4 takes us right to the heart of the matter and helping us understand that there is a world of adventure and possibility for every person here who is committed to Jesus and who's committed to following Jesus and learning Jesus in this community here at East Campus. The Holy Spirit, by Ephesians 4, teaches us that every member plays a role. Every one of us, if we are in Christ, every single one of us plays a crucial role in helping the whole church grow up into maturity in Christ. Those are those three traits we've talked about, submitting to God's word, embracing our identity, and growing with God's people. If you are, have ever been a part of a company or a sports team or an institution or whatever it is, and the president or the executive leader or the coach of that team or that institution, if they set forth a super clear vision of why the company exists, why the team exists, and then a clear vision practically of how each person in that institution or on that team, what their role is in succeeding in the overall vision. If you've ever been a part of an institution or company or team like that, you know 
it is a bunch of fun being a part of that company because you realize you are compelled and motivated in your role, however majorly significant or kind of maybe small unnoticed ways, that you play a huge role in accomplishing this great vision. And that's why Ephesians 4 is in your Bible. Because Jesus lets us in on his vision for what a healthy church looks like. When every member of a whole church is operating and functioning according to how Jesus has designed it, guys, it is a bunch of fun. And we all want to have fun, don't we? That's what Jesus lets us in on in Ephesians 4. So let's read this together. This is God's word for us. Let's listen very carefully. Let's enjoy this together. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 12 all the way to verse 24. Uh, verses 1 to 11 says that Christ gives gifts to the church to, verse 12, equip the saints, the ordinary holy people, all of us in Christ, saints, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we attain to the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it built itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They've become callous and they've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. Verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is God's word for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It is true. It is given to us in love. The, the purpose of this word in Ephesians 4 is that every single one of us, if we are in Christ, if we by faith have received your lovely son, Jesus, if that's who we are, then each of us has a role to play in building up this whole body and making East Campus come alive with wonder and sparkle and holy magic and awesomeness and vibrancy and beauty and glory. And we wanna be a witness to our surrounding neighbors and in this city. And Ephesians 4 shows us how that happens because by your spirit, you've given gifts to every single one of us here to be used to build up the whole body. So I pray that none of us would walk out of this room confused about what am I supposed to do here at East Campus? What am I supposed to do as a member of this local church? What am I doing here? Know that each of us would clearly understand from your word what we have been called to as whole disciples as we learn Christ. 
We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Ephesians 4 shows us those three things I've mentioned before, right? Three traits of learning Christ. Verse 20, what does verse 20 say? Is that you, that's not how you learned Christ. And if you are married or have ever heard any marriage advice, I remember hearing once someone say, you know, when you get married, you are signing up for decades of becoming a student of your spouse. Maybe you've heard something like that before. That's what we're talking about here. You're giving yourself to learning the person of Jesus Christ. If you enter into the university of Jesus Christ, (laughs) um, every class is about him. And when you're done with the classes on Jesus and you graduate to 202, guess what the classes are in level 202? More Jesus. And then maybe... Maybe you're in high school and you take the AP classes so that you come into college with 97 credits graduating the next semester. If that's you, guess what those AP credit classes are all about? Jesus. Lunchtime is about Jesus. Recess, if you're a little kid in the school of Jesus, it's all about Jesus. You learn Christ. Your entire life, if you are a Christian, you are a learner. You've given yourself over to becoming infinitely fascinated with the most wonderful person in the universe. Ephesians 3.8 says that there are unsearchable riches in Christ. Unsearchable. When you learn Jesus, did you know, there is always some never-before-seen footage of how amazing he is. You cannot get to the bottom of how splendid Jesus is. He's always fascinating. He's never boring. In fact, I would argue, if you or I are sitting there this morning and we're bored with the Christian life, it's because you have the wrong Jesus. When you learn this Jesus... There's something thrilling around every corner. And we're gonna see that in three things in Ephesians 4. Growing with God's people, submitting to God's truth, his word, and all this because of our identity as Christ learners. So first, growing with God's people. Look with me at verses 12 and 16. In this first section of of what Paul is doing in, in Ephesians 4, this segment, verses 12 to 16, is kind of one main chunk. And verse 12 and 16 are kind of the the sandwich toppers, the loaves of bread, pieces of bread, top and bottom. And look what he says. Jesus, verse 12, gave gifts to equip the saints. Saints, again, don't let that be confusing, depending on your religious upbringing. Saints can sometimes feel like what that means is these super spiritual special people in history who are untouchable. No. Saints is you. If you are in Jesus, you have been sainted. Holy, that's what it means, holy. You have been holied through Jesus, made pure, cleansed. You are a saint, okay? Jesus gave gifts to equip the saints, the ordinary Christians, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Then jump down, verse 16, what does it say? From whom, Jesus, from Jesus, the whole body, the whole church, there it is, part of your church, whole disciples, whole church, whole disciples, the whole body, when it is equipped 
When each part, each individual member of the body is working properly, look at this, what does it say? Makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Jesus has designed the church in such a way, Parkview East, that each member must do his or her part to help the whole body grow. And the growth of the whole body then, in turn, positively influences the spiritual life of the individual. That's how it works here in the church of Jesus. So let me ask you, when you committed to Parkview Church, some of you are members. Some of you are going to become members very soon. See you two there. Wonderful. Saw that membership interview with with Len. Others of you are thinking about membership. Others of you are committed, not yet ready for membership. Okay, but you're committed. You're here. You're coming on a regular basis. If someone asks you, where do you go to church? You'd say, Parkview East Campus. Great. Now, when you committed to Parkview Church, did you, let me ask you a question. Did you sign up for Amazon Prime or did you sign up for CrossFit? Or if you don't know what CrossFit is, some other group fitness membership, okay? And Amazon, when you sign up for Amazon Prime membership, you pay some money every year. But then what you do is you sit back, you relax, you click a few buttons, you wait, and everything's delivered to your doorstep. Very easy. Or if it's CrossFit or whatever other group fitness membership that you could be a part of, what happens is, yes, you pay money, But most importantly, you have to show up. You have to show up and give yourself to uh, working out because in CrossFit, it's what the whole team is doing as they're working out or a cycling class or whatever it is, right? You showing up and you putting in effort and hard work and putting in the sweat, it's not just for you. It's because, and actually researchers, I figured this out this week, Fascinating. Researchers have shown over and over again that greater whole group fitness as individuals work out in groups. If you commit to working out in a group, actually, studies have shown that you actually have greater fitness long term. Jesus, verse 12, gave gifts to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Verse 16, when each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow. grow. This is why This is why we love our focus on whole church making whole disciples. Not, notice that Jesus didn't say, Jesus equips the pastors to do all the work of the ministry. Or Jesus gives a staff to a local church to do all the work of ministry. And therefore the members sit back and do their Amazon Prime, hang out, and receive it all. By the way, if that's how Jesus structured things, that'd be so boring. Could you imagine if the only thing you did as a Christian was just show up to stuff, sit there, and people just kind of throw the spiritual food at you, and you just gobble, 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 and you don't get to join in on the party that Jesus is throwing every Sunday and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and however it looks like when we gather together, large or in smaller groups, in community groups, whatever it is, coffee over Starbucks or Panera there at Sycamore Mall, wherever we're gathering around talking about Christ and praying for each other, to miss out on the glory and the adventure and the joy and just the holy fun of being a Christian in a church helping other Christians know Jesus. Wow, amazing. Now, very simply, this is why community groups exist. 
the community group vision by our very wonderful, beloved, amazing, magnificent pastor, Thomas Hoke. He says this, right? Community groups make whole disciples by cultivating an environment of relational safety where, get this, the spiritual initiative of the group leads to the growth of each member. And we could also say the initiative of each member leads to the health and growth of the group. So my prayer this morning is that each of us here would feel empowered by the risen Lord Jesus himself to participate in the great adventure of helping each other grow in Christ. That's our first point. If we're gonna learn Jesus, what we're doing is we're committing to doing that. It's a team sport. We're doing it together. But the question now is then, if we commit to together growing in Jesus and helping each other grow in Jesus, I hope you're asking the question, that's nice, but what does that look like? Practically, how exactly does growth happen amongst each other as we hang out, spend time, Sunday mornings or at Panera or in community groups or wherever it is? What sparks real growth in the church? This is our second point. It's when we submit to God's word. Submit to God's word. And specifically, in particular, what we learn from Ephesians 4, the aspect of submitting to God's word is this. It's the truth of God's word, the message of the gospel, of the finished work of Jesus Christ, death on the cross and resurrection and new life in him received by faith. This gospel, this truth of his word, when it is spoken to us in love, by fellow Christians. Look with me at verse 15. I love this verse. I'm so glad this verse is in the Bible. We don't have to be confused about what we're doing as Christians in a local church. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Look at, look at verse 15. Last phrase says what? We together as a whole church are to, there it is again, grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. In every way, whole, whole disciples, the whole church growing up. We love that. Yes, Jesus, we want to grow. Anyone here want to grow in Jesus? So then, how do we grow? Look at the very beginning of verse 15. By speaking the truth in love. By speaking the truth in love. Simply put, we help one another grow into maturity in Jesus, into learning Jesus by means of speaking to one another the truth about Jesus. We help, I'll say it again, we help one another grow into maturity in Jesus to become stronger, more vibrant, more resilient, more happy and free Christians by speaking the truth of Jesus to one another in love. Parkview Church, if you love other Christians, according to Ephesians 4, the sign that you love them is that you will talk to them about Jesus. Some of us think when it says speak the truth in love, what it means is, okay, I really harsh, I, I'm good at harshly rebuking people. And then, and then at other times, I come with like, kind, of, kind of like a kind, tender love. No. The two are together. Yes, there are, there's room and there's need for healthy, godly, careful rebuke in a local church. But 
what Paul's point is here is that we speak the truth in love. When we love, we are truth speakers. And the truth is not, here's, let me point out your sin. No, it's that you are aware of your sin. You feel ashamed about it and, and just cast down with guilt. And let me tell you the truth, brother or sister, Jesus sets you free through his death and resurrection. That's the truth of Jesus that we speak to each other. Few people have said this better than 20th century theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together. I get extra points from Doug Fern. It's like one of his favorite books. Okay, great. This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. It's a longer quote. I'll read it once and then I'll kind of highlight again the point I really want you to uh, listen in on. This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about life together, this helping each other grow by speaking the truth of God's word to each other. He says this, but God has put his word into the mouth of brothers and sisters in order that it may be communicated to one another. When one person is struck by the word, he speaks it to others or she speaks it to others. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. Christians need other Christians again and again when they become uncertain and discouraged for by themselves, they cannot help themselves without belying the truth, belittling it, rejecting the truth. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother or sister. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. Verse 15, Ephesians 4, what you are called to do if you are a Christian is to speak the truth in love, therefore helping one another grow in Christ. Notice what Bonhoeffer said. When the Christian becomes uncertain and discouraged, he's prone. And you, don't, don't you just, this is so true. Aren't you prone to stop believing how much the Heavenly Father actually loves you? You're uncertain. You're discouraged. Bonhoeffer says then, the Christ, the message of Christ, the truth of Christ in your own heart is weaker than the truth of Christ that's in the word of your brother or sister. That's why God has given you fellow Christians. That's why God didn't just parachute one Christian into Iowa City, but a plethora of Christians so we can help each other grow by speaking the truth in love. Parfew, it's the most practical necessity for your sanity in Jesus to have fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus, speak to you the truth about Jesus. I mean, very practically, what would this look like? Well, imagine with me if it's Tuesday afternoon, just like Bonhoeffer said, you're tired. You're discouraged and you are uncertain about an area in your life that is just, quite frankly, it is terrifying you, it's overwhelming you. There you are, Tuesday afternoon, you're hopping in your car, and maybe it's a particular sin that you keep battling with or a source of suffering or some past regret that, you know how it works, right? It just all of a sudden pops up. There's Satan, that's what he does, right? Satan just, oh, let me just remind you of that horrible failure from 13 years ago, 17 years ago, 19 years ago. And there it is. And try as you might, and I know, ah, I know. Some of us just, we try so hard Oh, Lord, we try so hard. We, we, we just, we can't figure ourselves out. We try to help ourselves out of this spiritual darkness. There we are. We're in a pit now. 
Tuesday afternoon, maybe it's been two days now, we're in a spiritual darkness and we, we've tried to pray. We really have tried to pray. And, um, you know, we try to remember our favorite psalm or that favorite passage from the New Testament and we just try to rehearse it over and over. It just, it, we just, we're stuck though. It just doesn't feel like it's working. And you're like, Lord Jesus, please help me. It's just so dark right now and I'm so discouraged. What do you do Tuesday afternoon, you're driving home, you've got 13 minutes before the exiting of your business where you work to arriving at home with your roommate or your kids or whatever it is that waits you at home. What do you do? 13 minutes. Ephesians 4, 15 tells you, pick up your iPhone and call a friend. Call someone here at East Campus who you know loves you whom you trust and say, brother or sister, I am so discouraged right now and here's why. And maybe for four minutes, you gave them a little insight into what's really going on your heart. And then you just say, hey, could you just remind me about what Jesus is like? And could you pray for me? You get what's happening in that moment? Don't miss out as you read the Bible and it says these ideas, speaking the truth in love. Don't forget that the Lord Jesus loves you so much that he put that in his Bible. And, and, and you're hearing that this Sunday alongside other beloved brothers and sisters so that this week when Tuesday afternoon comes around or it's Wednesday night at, at 11.30 p.m., wherever it is when the, the dark demons of your life raise their little heads and start bringing, heaping on all the shame and all the darkness and all the sadness. That the way Jesus loves you, one way, not the only way, but one way that he loves you is he has put other Christians in your life who are sure and certain of how lovely and forgiving and compassionate and gracious Jesus is so that in that moment when you don't believe it and you're trying, you're trying your best, you're praying, and you just, I just, I can't, I can't get there. You have someone else who is sure about Jesus in that moment, and they tell you about his forgiveness. And they bring home to you the love of God the Father through Jesus Christ. And they remind you of that, and they pray for you, and it's 13 minutes, and you park the car in your front driveway, and you pull the keys out of the ignition, or most cars now, you push the little button, and you walk out of your door, you go inside your house, and you just take another step, don't you, towards Christ. And another step, and simply by that conversation with that friend Tuesday afternoon, you've grown. You've grown more resilient and trusting and more humble and more open to the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Most likely, it probably didn't shazam and make your life perfect. Guess what? We're not in heaven. But this side of heaven, one of the greatest gifts that Jesus has given you is your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And at times what grieves my heart as a pastor is seeing people not developing and giving themselves in trust and love to their brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of us are so lonely and we don't know who we'd call Tuesday afternoon. And if that's you, I'd ask you to join a community group or take a step be that person to someone else and watch that person then turn around and be that to you. Speaking the truth in love, we grow up.
into Christ. That's the second point. So we've grown together. We grow together by submitting to God's word, speaking the truth in love to one another in areas of discouragement and uncertainty. But finally, what we've learned in this series is this, right? Activity in being a disciple comes from identity. Identity empowers activity. The fruit in the Christian life that you long for is produced by the root of being connected to Jesus Christ and all of his fullness and all of his power and all of his goodness. So in our final point, we need to explore verses 17 to 24 briefly. Can't go a deep dive into all of this. This is not a typical expositional sermon that we usually do. It's more of reflection on patterns and truths that we see in this passage that inform our life together in this series on our vision as whole disciples. And so verses 17 to 24, look what Paul does, right? There's a therefore, a therefore. And in verse 17, he says, here's what you must not do. Don't walk like the Gentiles, aka don't walk like those outside of Christ who don't know Christ. And then in verse 20, he makes a turn and says, now that's not how you learned Christ because this is who you are. This is who you're not. This is who you are. That's what Paul does. Verses 17 to 19, who you're not. 20 to 24, this is who you are. And the truth is this, right? Because in Ephesians 4, we speak the truth in love, but then we wonder, what's this truth that we're speaking? Well, then Paul says, therefore, here's the truth. As you're calling your brother and sister, and it's Tuesday afternoon, and they're unburdening their heart to you, and they're so discouraged, they just feel so stuck, what do you say to them? Well, you say... That if you're in Christ, by faith, trusting alone in Jesus to rescue you from sin, a fundamental transformation, a fundamental transfer has happened in your life from one realm to another realm. So important that we learn this. This is, this is one of the most important realities in Scripture. That through the death and resurrection of Jesus and by faith in what Jesus has done, we as Christians are no longer in the realm of sin and death and under Satan's power, but we have been plucked up by the mercy of Jesus and brought over and brought down into implanted and rooted forever into Christ and his kingdom of forgiveness and love and power. Look with me, we might say it like this, we're learning Jesus. There's an old school and a new school. And we've been transferred from old school to new school. The old school, verses 17 to 19, is this. Verse 17, it's futile minds. Verse 18, it's a darkened understanding. Verse 18, the very last part, it's alienation from the life of God. It's death, spiritual death. Verse 19, it's hearts being so calloused that we're, we're numb to how bad life is apart from Jesus and we're numb to how our problems and our sins harm other people in life. That's what the callousness means there in verse 19. Fundamentally, the old school way of learning, according to what Paul is saying and the whole testimony of scripture, is a mind that rejects the truth of God. If in verse 15, we're to help each other grow by speaking the truth in love. Well, the issue is the human predicament is that left to ourselves, apart from the mercy of Jesus, we stiff arm the truth 
of God. That's what, Jesus, that's what Paul's been saying here in verses 17 to 19. It's like this. We have our iPhones, and it's as if the notifications on our consciences are blinking, right? Some of us have emails, and we have 1,322 emails because we haven't deleted any since 2010. But you know what I'm talking about, that red notification. Then we look down, we got text messages, and we've got 17 of them, and we've got nine voicemails, all of them from God. He sent us text messages of his reality. He has then sent us emails of his goodness, and he's even left daily voicemails speaking of his holiness and his love for us and our need to repent and receive the mercy of Jesus Christ. And yet, what Paul is saying, in sin, we've rejected all of that. But our consciences bear witness to it. We, we see the notifications. We know something's off in our life. We know that we've been alienated from the life of God, that we're in spiritual death, but we won't want to address it. One atheist in the 20th century would say, I didn't want God to exist because if he did, I knew that he would try to interfere with my life. That's the human predicament apart from the mercy of Jesus. That's what Paul's been describing, the old school, verse 17 to 19, death. And to pause here for a moment, if you're someone here and you have not yet become a Christian, meaning you've not yet turned away from this old life and embraced the new life that Jesus offers through his forgiveness and his death and resurrection, this is your About Me page on Facebook. Whether or not you have updates about what's going on in your business or in your schooling or whatever it is, what's fundamental about who you are apart from Christ, is this, spiritual death. And the offer that Jesus gives to you is that you would come to him today because Jesus is in the business of transferring people who are in death and sin and transferring them to the new school of learning him and his love and his forgiveness. That's what Paul moves to in 20 to 24. Paul says, there's been a radical transfer. This is not how you learned Christ. Verse 23, how did, 21, how did you learn Christ? It says that you heard about Jesus. You were taught in Jesus, the truth that's in Jesus, right? If before our minds rejected and stiff-armed the truth of God, to be a Christian is fundamentally to have a, a new mindset in which the truth of Jesus now comes alive in our hearts and we receive it and our minds are changed in how we view who God is and how we view the world around us and how we even view ourselves has been transformed through the power of Christ. Notice that all of this in 20 to 24 is in the past tense. This is a decisive moment that happened to these Christians that has happened to you, brother or sister, if you are in Christ. You learned Christ. Verse 22, meaning you put off the old self. Verse 23, you are renewed in your mind. And then verse 24, you put on the new self. You were once alienated from God's life because of your unwillingness to submit to his truth, but through the mercy of Jesus, you've now been transferred and transformed and your mind now receives the truth in Christ. Some of us here know this so clearly in our lives. Some of us know what it's like to be in that darkness and to even hear stuff about Jesus and to just think that is just a bunch of garbage. But then here you are Wonder of wonders, you're a Christian now. 
and you love Jesus and you love learning about the Bible. What's happened? What's happened is Ephesians 4 has happened. Parkview, you will learn Christ to the degree that you realize that you have already learned Christ. Past tense. This is what's been done for you in Jesus. This is who you are. There has been a transfer from the old life, the old school to the new school. This is a simple illustration. I think I've used it before years ago, but for me, it just helps capture this. I mean, imagine if there's a 20-year-old named Jake. Jake is a sophomore at Illinois State University. Illinois, okay, because I know there's probably some people from Iowa State University here. Don't want to cause any offense. Illinois State University. (laughs) Go Redbirds. Any Redbirds in the house? No, good, okay. Normal Illinois, central Illinois. My wife actually grew up in normal, so I sort of know this campus. And Jake wakes up and smells the coffee. He thinks, what am I doing at at ISU? Illinois State University. He says, I'm gonna go to the best university in the world. I'm transferring to the University of Iowa. And so he transfers his junior, junior year, right? Jake the junior, now at University of Iowa. He's been relocated into a new realm, a new state, a new city. New professors, new friends, new schedule, new dorms. And guess what? He even switches majors from biology to business. So Jake has a new subject to learn. He's new. But imagine how you would react if Jake spent all his time, all his energy, all his money driving three hours back to central Illinois to normal for classes at ISU or trying to contact his old biology professors to learn about the business principles in his classes at Iowa or cheering for the Redbirds. Oh my goodness, cheering for the Redbirds and all the sports. Come on, you're a Hawkeye fan now wearing a bunch of ISU red and black t-shirts. Now, if you're a good friend to Jake, what would you say to Jake? If he started behaving in this way, he'd say, Jake, knock it off. That's your old school. That's who you were. You're a part of a new school now. You are at Iowa, new location, new major, new sports team. Jake, you need to be who you are. You need to live where you're located. Live where you're located. And that's what Paul is doing for us here in Ephesians. You are no longer located in the realm of death and a mind darkened in understanding and a heart resistant to Jesus and his truth. No, by the mercy of Jesus, and it's all through the gracious mercy of Christ, he has plucked you up and he's taken you over in sheer happiness, joy, and delight, and he has planted you in his forgiveness, and his freedom, and his fullness, and his holiness. You are a saint. You're an adopted child of God. You're in a new school. You're in the school of Jesus Christ. You've learned Christ. Therefore, you can learn Christ. We can grow together. We can submit to the truth of God's word spoken to each other only because of who we are. Brothers and sisters, there's a new you. In Jesus. The old has gone. The new has come. This is what Jesus has given to us. We have transferred. Do you know this? Do you believe this? This is what it means to be a disciple of Christ, a whole disciple who is learning Jesus. Amen.